Let us pray. O Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Yahweh said to Joshua, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to the people of Israel. And Joshua commanded the people, prepare your provisions, for within three days you are to pass over this Jordan, to go in to take possession of the land. These are some of the first verses in the book of Joshua. And here we are already given hints to the mystery of the Jordan River crossing. Surely Israel had to cross many rivers on their 40-year sojourn in the wilderness. What's so special about this one? But look at the clues here in chapter 1. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise. Moses is buried. Joshua is raised up. This is a figurative death and resurrection. And what is the resurrected Joshua to do? He is to go over this Jordan. Crossing Jordan is associated with this transition from old to new, from death to life. But also the timing. Joshua says, prepare your provisions for within three days you are to pass over this Jordan. Three days. The third day is significant in Scripture. Seven days marks a full week and thus connotes fullness and completion and fulfillment. But the third day is the middle of the week, and that marks a, a time of transition, of change, of transformation. At creation, after three days of forming spaces, God transitions to filling those spaces with the things he creates. In the story of Abraham, it was the third day when Abraham went to sacrifice Isaac and God provided a ram in his place. And it was on the third day that Yahweh came down on Mount Sinai to make covenant with Israel at the Exodus. This Jordan River crossing is another third day event because it is a day of transformation for Israel. And in particular, we are to see this third day Jordan River crossing as an echo of that other third day event I just mentioned, Mount Sinai. Coming out of Egypt on the edge of the wilderness, Mount Sinai was a new beginning for Israel. Now here we are 40 years and 10 rebellions later. They need a new, new beginning on the edge of the promised land. And so the crossing of the Jordan is a new Mount Sinai experience. We will see more evidence of that as we go on. And so this crossing is a resurrection, it is a transformation, it is a new start for Israel as they prepare to go into the land that God has given them. Go over this Jordan, pass over this Jordan. Why? Why does Israel have to cross the Jordan River? Well, there's an obvious answer, right? They're trying to go from one land to another. They're trying to go from the wilderness into the land of Canaan. And rivers are natural boundaries, aren't they? I mean, why does Nebraska have these three nice, straight, perfectly straight sides and then an eastern border that looks like the cartographer was falling asleep when he drew it? Because that's the Missouri River. 
Rivers are boundaries between two lands. That's the practical reason for crossing the river to go from one place to another, but there's clearly a lot more than that going on here because God makes a big deal of this crossing. He gives all these instructions about who is to go over and when and how they're to do it. He works miracles to make this crossing happen. So God is doing something important here at Jordan. And that's because this river crossing is not just a change in location, it's a change in being. It's a new creation. And so you need to understand that in the ancient mindset and in the Bible's symbolical system, crossing water often signifies new birth. Israel is about to be born again. And where do they get such a crazy idea? Well, it's the most natural thing in the world. What is the universal sign that a pregnant woman is about to give birth? My water broke. To which the clueless husband says, well, don't worry, dear, we'll get you another. <laughs> right? Babies are surrounded by a water-like liquid in the womb. And in order to be born, they have to pass through that water boundary. Now, in the ancient world, the general population saw babies and animals being birthed all the time, so they knew this instinctively. You have to pass through the waters to be born. So in order to pass into this new world, in order to pass into Canaan and the new life God has for them there, and in order to be reborn as a new Israel coming out of the wilderness rebellion, Israel has to pass through the waters. They have to be born again. So let's turn to Joshua chapter 3, where this crossing takes place. They came to the Jordan. At the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, As soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of Yahweh your God being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits in length, do not come near it. This ark is God's throne. It is the sign of his presence in the midst of Israel. It is shrouded in darkness and smoke inside the tabernacle. And when it is moved, the priests cover it up according to God's instructions. Here, God says the priests are going to carry this ark and the people will follow after them. But they have to keep their distance. He says almost 2,000 cubits. That's about half a mile. Don't come near it, they are told. Now what other time was Israel told not to come near something? It was that other third day event, the giving of the law at Mount Sinai. Exodus 19.12 says this, Take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. Don't come near it. This is the presence of Yahweh, your God, your king. And you don't just waltz into the king's bedroom unannounced, right? You try that with an earthly king, his guards are going to kill you probably, right? It's the same with Yahweh. You don't come into the king's presence unless he has granted you entrance according to his law. Verse 5, then Joshua said to the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow Yahweh will do wonders among you. 
Consecrate yourselves means make yourself holy. But what does holy mean? Well, remember what we said in all those sermons about the tabernacle this summer? Holy means acceptable to enter into God's house. That's the best way to understand it. Furniture can be holy. Utensils can be holy. Garments can be holy. And people can be holy. Anything that has gone through the consecration rites that Yahweh commands is made acceptable to enter God's house. It's holy. What other time was Israel told to consecrate themselves? Again, it was that other third day event at Mount Sinai, Exodus 19.10. Yahweh said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day, Yahweh will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And so here we have in our chapter, we see Joshua acting as the new Moses. He tells the people, consecrate yourselves. But how do you consecrate yourself? Well, we just saw in Exodus 19, didn't we? You take a bath. And not just your body either. You have to do the laundry too, right? You have to wash your garments. Anytime someone is going into the presence of Yahweh, they have to pass through the waters. They have to pass through the waters of consecration. The priests had to do it as part of their ordination to get ready to serve in Yahweh's house. Seven days they did this. Here, all the people do it before Yahweh leads them out. So the irony here is that Israel has to pass through the waters in order to pass through the waters, right? Now you might think, why are we taking a bath if we're just going to go wading through this dirty river? Well, where do you think they got their bath water from? From the Jordan River. That was the only water around, right? So when they are consecrating themselves before this river crossing, every Israelite is taking a little bit of that Jordan River and putting it on themselves, passing through a little bit of the Jordan River as they wash their bodies and garments with Jordan water. And so what you see is that this consecration rite is a symbolic preparation for anticipation of the literal river crossing. That's a lot like baptism, isn't it? The water pouring over our heads is a symbolic anticipation of and preparation for the final salvation. When Christ will one day bring us safely through the final judgment into eternal life. Baptism puts a little bit of that heavenly water on us as a pledge, as a foretaste of the river of life that we will one day experience as we abide in Christ. This is one of the reasons why we baptize infants as well as adults. Here, the whole covenant community must be consecrated. I mean, Israel didn't leave their kids on the far side of the Jordan to fend for themselves in the wilderness, did they? Because God covenants with all Israel, old and young. All cross the Jordan together, and all are called to a life of faithfulness in the land on the other side. Generation discipling generation about what God has done, as we will see in just a moment. Consecrate yourselves. Yahweh is coming to do wonders among you. And verse 7 tells us the purpose for these wonders. Yahweh said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, 
so I will be with you. Skipping to verse 10. And Joshua said, Here is how you shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. So God says he's going to work wonders for these reasons. Number one, so that Israel will know that Joshua is his chosen leader. Joshua is the new Moses, the one they must put their trust in. But secondly, God is working wonders so that Israel will know that he is with them. Not just when they pass through the waters, but as they go in to occupy the land. God will continue to be with them as they battle with these nations. And that brings us to the wonder. Verse 14. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan, with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and as soon as those bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the Ark were dipped in the brink of the water, now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of harvest, the waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam, at the city that is beside Zarethan. And those flowing down toward the Sea of Arabah, the Salt Sea, were completely cut off. And the people passed over opposite Jericho. Now the priests, bearing the Ark of the Covenant of Yahweh, stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. Now first of all, what previous Bible story does this remind you of? The crossing of the Red Sea, right? Exodus 14, 29. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. There at the Red Sea, people were escaping Egypt. Here, they are escaping the wilderness. There, the Lord was present with them in the pillar of fire shrouded by smoke. Now the Lord is present with them in the fiery golden ark, which is shrouded with curtains. There, Moses was God's chosen leader. And here, Joshua leads the conquest. So what you have is the same Israel doing the same thing, yet born again. New, made new by Yahweh. Now, the Jordan River is not the largest river in the world. At its fullest, perhaps 100 feet wide and 10 feet deep, Israel could have forded that river. It would have been a long and dangerous process. They would have been vulnerable. There would have been great risk to life and limb, but it could have been done. Instead, the God who created the world once again separates waters above from waters below. Once again, he raises dry land in between. It is the Creator God who leads Israel through the Jordan. All the water, not just the river, but the moisture in the ground, it's as if it all immediately steps aside as soon as Yahweh, embodied in his ark and in his priests, dips his toe in. Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? It's the Creator God making a new creation, separating waters that dry land may appear. And did you notice that the priests carry the ark out into the middle of the riverbed and they stand there the whole time 
while thousands and thousands of Israelites walk over. I kind of see this as God standing in the middle of the river, arms outstretched, holding the waters of judgment at bay while his people pass safely through. And when the whole nation has passed over, we're not, not quite done yet. If you look at chapter 4, verse 1, when all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, Yahweh said to Joshua, Take twelve men from the people, from each tribe a man, and command them, saying, Take twelve stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you, and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. How many stones? Twelve. How many men? Twelve. And we've talked about this in the past. The Hebrew word for stone is eben. The Hebrew word for sun is ben. And that word is used throughout this passage where uh, the ESV and other English translations have people of Israel or children of Israel. It's literally sons of Israel. Twelve ebens, twelve bens, twelve stones, twelve sons. The stones represent Israel, just as they do on the high priest's breastplate. The people of Israel are the stones that Yahweh will sling to slay the giants in this new land. They are the stones which Yahweh will use to build his church, his temple in this new land. On this rock I will build my church. Verse 6 tells us these stones are a sign to the sons of Israel, a memorial to them. When your sons ask in time to come, what do these stones mean to you? Again, when your bens ask, what do these ebens mean? Verse 7. Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of Yahweh. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. What do the stones mean? The answer is, those stones are us. Those stones are us. The stones were lifted from the bed of the Jordan River just as Yahweh brought our sons safely through the water. Remember, these cultures didn't have Bible apps, right? These memorials helped them proclaim their gospel to the coming generation. Verse 8, And the people of Israel did just as Joshua commanded. Now there are actually two memorials set up here. Verse 9 tells us, Joshua set up twelve stones in the midst of the Jordan in the place where the feet of the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant had stood, and they are there to this day. Now, think about this for a moment. When the river returns to its banks, I mean, these stones couldn't be huge. Guys had to carry them, right? When the river returns to its banks, these stones are going to be covered up. Who's going to know they're there? Well, God will know they are there. Could this be a memorial for Yahweh? Could these stones be like the rainbow, which is a memorial, which we only see on occasion, but which, according to the prophetic visions, is always before God? Memorials are often directed to God. Now, the text doesn't elaborate. That might be what's going on here, that God sees this memorial, and he remembers to act and save and deliver Israel as he promised. But it's interesting that we have this second memorial. Verse 11, And when all the people had finished passing over, the ark of Yahweh and the priests pass over before the people, verse 13, about 40,000 ready for war passed over before Yahweh for battle to the plains of Jericho. 
We're making this journey in preparation for war. The mighty King Yahweh is going out in conquest. Verse 14, on that day, Yahweh exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they stood in awe of him, just as they had stood in awe of Moses all the days of his life. Well, that's what Yahweh said the purpose of this was. Back in chapter 3, he told uh, Joshua, today I will begin to exalt you, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And so we see that that plan now comes to fruition this generation had stood in awe of Moses. They respected him and followed him. And now they stand in awe of Joshua. And they respond to this wonder in faith by placing their trust in Joshua and following him. Verse 18, And when the priests bearing the ark of the covenant of Yahweh came up from the midst of the Jordan and the soles of the priests' feet were lifted up on dry ground, the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and overflowed all its banks as before. Yahweh's been holding back the waters all day as the people pass through, and as soon as he steps out, the waters rush back to their place. This is the God of the Red Sea crossing, right? He's doing it again. Joshua even makes this connection explicit in verse 21. He said to the people of Israel, When your sons ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your sons know, Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. For Yahweh your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over, as Yahweh your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over. So that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of Yahweh is mighty, that you may fear Yahweh your God forever." In the scriptures, the truth must be established by two witnesses, and here they are. All the peoples of the earth and Israel herself. These are the two witnesses to the Jordan crossing. They see it, and they know that Yahweh is mighty, and they are to respond with reverent fear. And we see this happening at the beginning of chapter 5, chapter 5, verse 1. As soon as all the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that Yahweh had dried up the waters of the Jordan for the people of Israel until they had crossed over, their hearts melted and there was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel. So the sons of Israel are stones. They are forged in the fire of Yahweh. But the inhabitants of the land are wax, and they melt in the fire of Yahweh. Now on the near side of the Jordan, now that we've crossed over, two more events happen that really flesh out the meaning of this crossing. First, Joshua commands that the sons of Israel be circumcised. Now God had commanded all descendants of Abraham to do this, but that generation had not done it in the wilderness. They were in rebellion. They didn't want to be Israelites. They wanted to go back to Egypt. But look at verse 8. What is the point of this? When the circumcising of the whole nation was finished, they remained in their places in the camp until they were healed. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. And so the name of that place is called Gilgal to this day. The Hebrew word gal means to roll. Gilgal is basically doubling that. Roll, roll. 
in circumcising the sons of Israel, God is removing the reproach of Egypt from them, removing the sign of their rebellion. Now think about this, too. Ordinarily, in Israel, who are the ones circumcised? It's infant sons. They're circumcised on the eighth day after they are born. Not grown men like we see here. But see, this fits perfectly with our theme, doesn't it? What we've seen already. Passing through the waters is a sign of new birth. These are baby Israelites. They're newborns. They have to be circumcised because God is giving them new birth. It comes not only in the waters of the Jordan. It comes in the blood of circumcision. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. Now, speaking of blood, the other thing Israel does at this time is to celebrate the Passover. They hadn't been doing this in the wilderness either. And again, we see the events of the first Exodus echoed here. What is Passover? It's a memorial meal that represents all the same things we've been talking about. It represents a new people, a new leader, a new world, death for Egypt and new life for Israel. Passover is when the sons of Israel escape from death and are reborn through the bloody doorway into the new life with Yahweh. So this fits perfectly. And we won't go further into detail on those two events, but they are significant. What happens at the Jordan River? Nothing less than a new creation. The Jordan crossing marks a new creation for God's people. The Creator God is creating new Adams and Eves. He is placing them in His new world. Through the water, through the blood, they are consecrated and reborn, and they are born to a purpose. What is their purpose? Why is God rebirthing them? The same as Adam and Eve. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the land and subdue it and have dominion over every living thing that moves on the land. These new Adams and Eves are created to take dominion of the land. And that's what most of Joshua, the book of Joshua, is about. And next week we will see them begin to take dominion at Jericho. For today, I simply want you to see that the first step toward that is rebirth. Before dominion, you have to be born again. Here in the beginning of Joshua, on the banks of the Jordan, on the edge of the promised land, we see Israel passing through water and blood to be born again. As students of Scripture, we know this is not the last time God does this sort of work. This is not the last time God's people cross through the Jordan. Whenever we see them doing so, we need to think back to this event We'll see many more Joshua's cross the Jordan. Gideon, David, Elijah, Elisha. God will give Israel new life in order to drive out his enemies and deliver his people. Until one day, another Joshua will come to the Jordan River. Remember, Jesus' name is Yeshua. When the Jews of his day heard his name, they heard Joshua. And this Joshua comes to the Jordan River in his day. There's no army with him this time. The waters will not part for him, at least not on that occasion. But the heavens will be torn asunder. In our passage, the Lord said to the first Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel. When John baptizes the greater Joshua at the Jordan River, 
the Lord speaks for all to hear. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. God uses the Jordan River to identify his chosen one. Now God did this so that Israel would know that he was with this new Joshua, that this was his chosen one, his anointed one, his Christ. And this new Joshua then passes through the waters in order to begin a new and greater conquest. He was going to war with the greatest enemies of God's people, Satan, sin, and death. And so all of us are to see this new Joshua and to stand in awe of him. We are to put our trust in him. We are to follow where he leads. Because he is the one who was baptized in the Jordan. And we have been baptized in him that we might pass through those waters as well. Cling to your baptism. It is the foretaste and promise of a greater crossing to come. Because Jesus has gone before us, we can trust that Jesus will bring us safely through. He is the one who stands in the breach, his arms outstretched on the cross, holding the waters of judgment at bay so that we can safely cross into his new creation. The first Joshua circumcised Israel at Gilgal. Paul tells us that our Joshua has circumcised us and the circumcision of Christ is his crucifixion when he cut away our sin by taking our flesh upon himself and dying in our place. Thus, our new and better Joshua has rolled away the reproach of Israel from us. He has cast our sin away. In Christ, we are born again. The first Joshua renewed the celebration of Passover. Paul says, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us. Our new and better Joshua paints our doorposts with his own blood. The author of Hebrews says, He has opened for us a new and living way through the curtain that is through his flesh. In Christ we are born again to enter into God's presence. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus, Messiah. He is the fulfillment of Israel, the first one to be truly born again. He passed through the waters of death. He was drowned in the depths of the grave, but Christ is risen. And he has become the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth, as Revelation says. Jesus was born again. Therefore, all who are united to him by faith are also born again. So stand in awe of Joshua Messiah. Stand in awe of Jesus Christ. Follow him all of your days. Take dominion in his name. When you tread the verge of Jordan, let him bid your anxious fears subside. He is the death of death. He is hell's destruction. He will land us safe on Canaan's side. Let us pray to him. Lord Jesus, you are the new and greater Joshua. The Father has anointed you as our deliverer, as our conqueror. So teach us to trust you. Bring us safely through this wilderness. Bring us safely through the floods of judgment and the darkness of death. Bring us into your new heavens and earth that we may dwell with you forever. For you live and reign with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.